Welcome back to the LED Project Podcast. This is episode number 109. I am Kyle Krieger. Unfortunately, Will is uh, a little tied up today, but we're, we're super excited to have our friend Tyler Richards on the podcast today. Tyler, what's going on? Hey, Kyle. How's it going? Good, good. We were just chatting a little bit ago that we, uh, we met almost three months ago now at Teach Your Heart Out, and it's crazy because I think we've had like maybe six or seven people just since teach your heart out on the podcast. And it's been so, it's been so great to, to connect with those people and to have gotten a chance to hang out with you uh, in Vegas. Absolutely. I think that's uh, what's really great about attending those conferences. Um, teach your heart out was actually one of the first teacher conferences I've ever attended. Um, and there's something about in a district where I come from, it's a really small district and we're the only school in our district um, and so I don't have a lot of collaboration with other teachers. And so getting to, you know, hit up a conference like Teacher Heart Out and meet all of these other teachers, um, either at my grade level or at different grade levels is just phenomenal. So it's awesome that you're getting all of us on here to, you know, yeah. hang out and catch up. And yeah, yeah. It just, um, I was so, I was so tempted to go back to Miami, but I've got a wedding that weekend that I just, I can't, it's, it. If it were if it were a few other people, I would think about skipping the wedding, but it's one that I can't skip. But uh, yeah, hold on to that wedding. <laughs> hold yeah, on to that wedding. Yeah. So Will and I are definitely uh, definitely looking forward to Atlanta in the spring. Okay. But you know, he was talking too because he just this has been his first. He was a, a, a instructional coach three years, and now he's had his first year back uh, mm-hmm. in the classroom. So it's been it's been wild to talk to him, but. Uh, just to get us started and let people get to know you a little better, could you tell us a little bit, you know, a little bit of your background and, and the story of how and why you became a teacher? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was born and raised in Southern California, San Diego, um, and I, um, my whole family lived there. And uh, when I was 10, I had my first male teacher. Um, I still remember him. His name is Mr. DeRocher. He was my fifth grade teacher. And he was absolutely incredible. Um, He brought out the best in me and he just made learning amazing. Um, I can still remember that that year we had uh, read the book, How to Eat Fried Worms as a class. Mm -hmm. um, One day we walked in and he had completely transformed our classroom into like this backyard picnic like situation and we're all like what is happening and he sat us on the rug to read how to eat fried worms and then at the end of it he told us you know you're gonna eat some fried worms right now and in fifth grade I don't know it was just you're still kind of at that age where you're like oh heck no I'm not eating a worm and you kind of still believe like that your teacher might pull something like that on you um and so you know it turned out to just be like a fried noodle or whatever but he brought in like all the condiments from the from the book and everything and that totally sticks with me um it's just something that like came alive when education kind of came alive and it wasn't just oh let's read you know out of this book and sit at our desk and write this paper and kind of um kind of have this mentality of just like face forward and sit down um and after that, it was, it was just, that was, that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to bring joy to a student's life, just like Mr. DeRocher had brought to me. Um, and coincidentally enough, I had a hard, um, I had a hard upbringing and didn't have a lot of male role models um, in my life. 
And so to have a male who really cared about me and showed appreciation for me and wanted to support me um, really made an impact on my life for later on. Um, and as I went through college and as I went through um, just my schooling, I just decided that's what I want to do. And um, I've never, I had never faltered from that all through high school, going through college, other jobs kind of seemed interesting um, to me, but I never faltered from that. So when I went into college, I was like, I'm going to be a liberal studies major. And all through college, that never deterred me. And straight out of college, went to the credential program. And um, I know that a lot of people are like, I don't know what I want to do in college, you know, and that's their time to figure it out. But I, I never faltered from that. And now here I am. And even on the hardest days, I will not, I get up excited, you know, I get up the yeah. next day totally stoked and excited to just go back to work. So could you explain a little bit? Cause I, I mean, I was the same, like my college experience, like I, I was a teacher from the start, but, but wrapped up in my major was the education component. So can you explain a little bit in California, what, what you mean by the um, credential program? Yeah. So in um, California, we usually have to take um, your like major liberal studies, education, whatever it is. Right. Um, and then you do a secondary credential. So it actually takes about five, uh, five and a half years to become a teacher in California versus like just a four year degree. Um, now there are options. Other colleges do um, what you had just um, suggested and have it that the credential was wrapped up inside of the um, inside of the degree, but it's, uh, California is like really strict about their education standards. And that's why it's really hard for teachers outside of state to come in and get a job in California, because the way that it's explained to us is that California teachers can go to any state and basically get a job with a snap of their fingers. But any teacher coming from another state to California almost has to like redo the, their entire credential program. <laughs> um, just because our standards are like way higher um, or something. I don't, I don't, I don't know the like words to put onto that, but we have like really strict education standards in California. Right. Um, and so we have to go through like this extra process, but there is the option to have like an expedited program where you do get, uh, or where you can have your credential wrapped up into your degree. Um, but that wasn't at my school, the university I went to, that's not how it worked. Which university did you go to? San Diego state. Ooh, the Aztecs, right? Yeah, yeah, that's us. There we are. So, but in, you know, like, I guess I don't know as much about San Diego, but isn't in the Bay Area and around Los Angeles, aren't they really hard up for teachers? They are. Yeah, they are, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> um, so most of us, you know, we, it's so expensive to live in California um, yeah. across the board, not just in the teaching field, across the board. Um, and especially up here in the Bay Area, I think that um, there was an article that just came out that said the poverty line, you have to make over like $160,000 a year or otherwise you're under the poverty line. And that's like, that's just this Bay area. And so it's, wow. it's really expensive to live here. Um, and then I think we just have a hard time because we're such a um, migrant state. We have a lot of immigrants from Mexico and things um, where we have so many families continuing to come in that we are always looking for teachers. But then on top of that, our standards, you know, you have to have to come in and especially if you're from a different um, state, you have to like, come in and take all these new classes and redo right. your degree. And 
I mean, I don't know how it is in other states, but we get charged tooth and nail out here to have our degree to, yeah. um, you know, we're constantly paying for things like our education, to increase our education, to renew our credentials, to, I mean, they, they tax us for everything out here. Um, and so I think people are just kind of flooding out because it's so expensive to live here and they're kind of just like, I could go to a different state and, you know, find something so much cheaper and, you know, and well, you can, you don't have to go far. I mean, you can go into Nevada, you can go into Arizona, you can go into any of those states and get hired. But, but I feel you like I grew up in Wisconsin and went to college in Minnesota and my first job, like, uh, when I graduated in 2008, it was kind of the, the, the real bottom of the downturn and there just weren't jobs. So I went to Houston and, and I wound up teaching Texas history my first year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you know a single thing about Texas history. You know, and, but yep. the crazy thing down there, like just to compare, if you can go and pass a standardized test, mm-hmm. you can get licensed to teach whatever it is down there. That is not how it is up here. So if, so if I could theoretically pass a standardized physics test without any college background in physics in Texas, you could teach it. That's not how we do it. That's and, not how we do it. You know, now I'm back in Wisconsin and anyone who's got like a, a standard teaching license in Wisconsin is now gotten a lifetime license. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's why we say, um, that's why they told us like in the education field in California is that we can literally go to any of the other 49 states and get a job in a snap of a finger. Like it's not because we, because our credential is from California, but to switch that around and do the, and do the, uh, the verse of that, it doesn't work out. Um, and, and we have to take like, um, like you talked about the standardized test here in California, we have even to get your credential, uh, at the elementary level, you've got four standardized tests you have to take all in like varying subjects. And, and that's, that's to get your credential. Like, we've taken the classes, we've done the year, you know, we've done all that, but then you've got these four tests that you have to pay for and take. And if you don't pass it, you have to take it. Like it's this whole crazy setup and they don't make it easy um, for teachers at all. In, um, in such ahead. a liberal, in such a liberal state, I mean, and maybe I'm from the outside looking in, it's a liberal state. Why are they, I mean, are, do they gouge everyone this hard or is it just teachers that really get bear the brunt? Um, I think, I think teachers bear the brunt a lot of it. I can't, I don't know exactly, you know, how it goes to get other, you know, to be into other professions. Cause like I said, I never faltered. So I never really looked into other professions. Um, but I, across the board, I feel like teachers really bear the brunt of costs and, and they just, and I think that is part of our societal problem about teaching is it doesn't look inviting. Like, who wants to take four standardized tests? Who wants to pay out of pocket? Who wants to, you know, always be below the poverty line in California? Who wants to, you know, um, have to deal with, you know, 40 kids in your classroom at a time? Who wants to, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just not exciting. It's not, it's not an exciting profession. And I really think teaching is not for the faint of heart um, across yeah. the board. And just the first, the first steps to get into teaching is, is hard enough. And I think that's where we lose a lot of like college students who get in there and their professors start telling them, hey, this is what it's like. This is what you have to do. Here's all the work involved, you know, that kind of thing. And people are like, nope, I'm out. I can't, I can't do this. This doesn't sound exciting. 
Um, yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's, in my opinion, it's the most glorious profession in the world. I love it, but it's, it's not for the faint of heart. And here in California, it's not, it's not the easiest or the most inviting one to jump into. You know, and there's a bunch that I want to unpack in there, but like, so, so Wilkie and I are, are presenting at a conference in San Antonio, Texas called AIE. And we're on a panel talking about teacher retention and the teacher shortage. Mm -hmm. And I just, and, and I've been thinking along the same lines of what you said that it doesn't look inviting, but we, you know, we know the day-to-day -day experience of working with kids is the most grat, like the most gratifying thing in the world. Absolutely. So yeah. how, what do you think we can do to, I mean, cause I don't want to sugarcoat it for, like you said, you can't sugarcoat it for people because you don't, you don't want the people who are faint of heart because they're the people that are going to come in and, and be detrimental. Yeah. So how do you both, you know, like package it to, to let people experience how great it is, but also give them an idea of what it's really like without deterring them or, or making them not, I, I guess is kind of the question I have. I think, um, I think we often don't show the fun part of teaching. I don't, I don't think that's talked about. I don't think that's shown in teaching videos. I don't think, you know, any of that is, is shown. For example, you know, we like websites like Buzzfeed and things sometimes will put out, you know, these videos of like these amazing classroom transformations. And if you have ever read like the comments about them, people are like, wow, that is amazing. What an amazing, you know, they get excited about those types of things. But those are not shown in the everyday teaching field. What is shown in the everyday teaching field are things like Here's the new, you know, riot about teachers not getting paid enough. Uh, here's the lack of school supplies. Here's the, you know, the rundown facilities. Here is the classroom that has 47 kids and the teacher who's burnt out, you know. And those stories are true. Like, I'm not saying don't, don't give those stories because those stories are true. And yeah, we need raises as teachers. We need our school supplies. Our schools are underfunded, you know. This is why people are leaving the teaching field. But there's also the fun side of teaching. There's also the exciting, the changing of kids' lives, the when the light bulbs come on, you know, the hilariousness of having that kid say that really weird thing that they shouldn't have said and you just get to chuckle about mm -hmm. it. You know, all, of, yeah. all of those things are are missed um, when we talk to people, you know, because all they all generally we do as like human beings is talk about the negative part. Oh, I'm so tired. Oh, I have so much work to do. Oh, you know, but we forget in our nature to talk about the positives that we're going mm -hmm. on. Like I can even reflect just on my own week um, that this wasn't the greatest week. And I'm sitting here this weekend kind of feeling down about it, but there were so many good things that happened this week. But my, my nature is to focus on that negative part of it mm -hmm. when I really should focus on that positive part of it. And I think when we are talking with people about education or when we are presenting about education, we don't always show the positive um, unless the other people in the room are also teachers. And yeah, of course, wow. teachers, see, that's, I mean, cause you know, we, you know, I was thinking about like, we went to teach your heart out, which is just was maybe uh, such a great collection of like inspiring teachers too. And Will can have been talking like, I think the overwhelming majority of teachers in this country are really good. They are. Yeah. But they are. it's so interesting. You say that we only talk about it when we're around other teachers. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, I think because we, it's like, they'll get it. 
they'll get that humor or they'll get that, you know, where I'm coming from versus somebody else, you know, who's not in that field. Like, I will tell you that I know that a lot of my friends like don't understand, for example, why I don't want to go out on a Friday night, <laughs> why all I want to do is go home and crash on my couch. Um, and they don't understand that side of it. And I don't hold that against them. But I also don't necessarily like take the time to tell them like, hey, this is why, you know, they kind of just look at me as like a party pooper, <laughs> but not in a sense of like, guys, I'm just exhausted. Like I spend six mm. hours a day talking like all day and I'm tired. Right. And so they see that side and they're like, oh, teaching must not be a great job. You know, like teaching is teaching is just not you know, this, this great thing, like our friends won't even come out at the end of the day, you know, or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Versus another teacher, you talk to the teacher, he's like, oh yeah, I'm at home too. Like, you know, praise hands. I, I hear you. I'm on my couch too, not moving, you know? And so I think there's just this sense of, we talk to other teachers about how it's going because we know they're going to get it. And we leave out, you know, the other, whatever percentage of the world it is, because we're like, I don't want to have to explain it to you. You're just not going to get it. You're not going to understand, you know. And we miss a chance to, we miss a chance to explain to people what it's really like. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, because Wilkie and I, um, you know, he's doing his doctorate now and we, you know, he's been doing research, but I've been helping with him. And we found this stat, like teachers make up almost exactly 1% of the population in the U.S. Mm. Wow. But wow. I mean, how many, but your point just blows my mind. Like how often do we, and, and I think it's not just teachers that do it, but how often do we not speak about something because we assume someone else won't get it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, the truth is, is that they might not get it. I mean, I think about lots of things, you know, my friends when, who are in different professions, they start talking about their job and I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, you know, I have, I have zero idea what you're talking about right now, like, you know, but I sit there and I listen and I try right. to figure out like, yeah, okay. But I, in my head, I'm like, what did, what did he or she just say? I don't, is that an acronym? Like what, you know, my teacher brain's like going a mile a minute, but I don't know what they're talking about. You know, it's the same idea. And so I think, I think in their professions, they also are like, why am I talking to you about this? You don't have a clue what I'm saying, you know, and it's true. But does that mean we shouldn't talk about it? No, like, because it is important. That's how we learn. You know, I, that's what I'm trying to instill in my students every day is like, have this open mind and this open conversation to hear from other people, because that's how you learn. Your mind mm -hmm. is constantly growing, but it can't grow if you've shut the door or if you decided to close up shop for the day or, you know, whatever, whatever it is. So I think we've got to start talking, you know, more and being willing and not just saying, I'm only going to talk to the people who get what I'm going through because we don't want that in our friendship groups. We don't want that in our family groups, like people who think different from us or are different from us or whatever, help grow us into different people and help us uh, change our viewpoints and our mindsets. And I just think it's right. about starting to open up that conversation to more than just teachers and actually to like all the people around us. Because I mean, if we just look at like our crisis right now in education, you know, look at, um, North Carolina and Arizona and Oklahoma right now and the, all of this meeting, yeah. you know, looking for these raises, they actually have a ton of people who are on their side, like a ton of people, parents and other, you know, careers are totally fighting for them left and right. Um, and I'm not saying they're not talking to, you know, their parents or whatever, but people get it. People, they do, but we got to be willing to open up and say, hey, you know, let's talk about this, even mm -hmm. if maybe you aren't in the same profession I am, or even if you're not um, in a sense of, 
you know, not necessarily, not necessarily going to get what I'm saying, you know, I'm, let me right. give you the opportunity to hear where I'm coming from. Um, yeah. And, and I know you've probably faced it and I know every teacher's probably faced it when you try to talk to somebody about it and then they either dismiss you or they make, you know, backhand comments about how easy your job is. And, and I can imagine too, like, we don't get like our Instagram's not big enough that we get trolls, uh-huh. but like, I see how some of those people, um, online get trolled and, and all those things. And I'm like, I'm looking at the situation like outside of Detroit, like teachers, like kids can't even use the water in the schools right now. Yep. Yeah. Crazy. Absolutely insane to me. And I, you know, and we reach out, we reach out to our teacher friends because they get it, you know, but everyone, people think, come on, kids without water. You got to be kidding. Like we can't as human beings, as adults, like we have to have water. So why on earth are our schools not having water in them? And, you know, we jump on and we ask for help and support like from our teacher friends because we know they're going to do it. But, you know, it's so are our family members and so is our community and so is our, you know, so it's, it's about like spreading that out there. And again, it's not saying that people aren't doing that, but I don't think we're doing it enough across the board to invite these other groups of people into our conversation because they're not in it. They're not living in it on the day to day. Um, The teachers are living in it day to day. So they're going to get it. Well, and like you said, it, when it doesn't look inviting to people that are potentially becoming teachers, you can be certain that it doesn't look inviting to the, the every day-to-day person. And you know, and it's, it's crazy. Like I, I, you know, the, the time magazine covers that Uh, came out last week. I mean, and, and I'm not saying that like, I'm like, I'm with you. It's not that we shouldn't be talking about those things, but, it doesn't, it doesn't paint a good picture, you know? And again, it's like, we do want to be honest. I'm all about real life. Like I want to talk about real life and I talk about real life with my kids all of the time, but there's also like negative thing after negative thing after negative thing. Nobody wants to join in that. Like we as human beings do not want to be in the negative all the time. Right. And we do have to talk about those things. Like the things that teachers are going through, the fact that they are working three jobs is absolutely ridiculous In not, not okay. You know, like I come home after my one job and I am dead tired. I cannot physically even think where I would get the energy to go work two more jobs. Like I, mm-hmm. I just can't. And that is absolutely atrocious in my opinion. Um, but when, you know, when you're coming off teacher shortages in and teacher wages, and then we get the time magazine thing, and then we get the water shortage in schools in Detroit, you know, it's like just one thing after another. And it is shining light on those, um, on these issues that we see in our schools that have kind of gone unchecked for Mm -hmm. so long. Um, but it also on the, there's two sides to every coin. And on the other coin, on the other side of that coin is it just paints the profession in a negative light that, you know, new people who are maybe looking into the profession are like, I'm not taking that. That does not, nope. Who wants to join into that? Who doesn't want to have enough money to live? Who wants to have to go out and buy their own water? Who wants to have to work three jobs? Right. You know, and so when, when we shine light on the bad, you know, we, while that is in a sense a positive because it opens up the community's eyes and the world's eyes into what's really going on. There's also the flip side of that, that I think sometimes we forget about of it actually deters people from wanting to do 
do our profession. And ultimately, when people don't want to come into our profession, the students are the ones who suffer. I mean, how are we supposed to teach 40 students in a classroom and get to each one of them every single day and meet their individual needs? Like, we physically can't, but isn't that part of our job? Isn't part of our job to meet their needs every single day? But I, I'm one person. I can't physically mm-hmm. do that in a classroom with 40 kids, you know? And I, I mean, I know a teacher in Vegas right now who has 45, 45 fifth graders in mm-hmm. his classroom. And it's like, I don't even know how you do that. Where do you even put 45 desks in a classroom? Mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, you know, I just, it's, it's a fine line that we walk every single day. And I think that's one of the reasons teaching is, is the hardest profession in the world. And I, people would fight me on that maybe, but that's my personal opinion that teaching is the hardest profession in the world. Yeah. And I, and you know, you were talking about the, the, the physical, like being tired, but for me, it's, it's just much mental. Like there's only a certain point where my brain can function at, at, at that capacity. But I do want to circle back to something you said a little earlier that, you know, you, you didn't have a lot of male role models growing up and, and Mr. DeRozier was, you know, somebody who did that for you. So does that change the way you approach the boys that you have? Cause I'm, I'm super interested, you know, cause in talking about this too, we know that one in five teachers is male and even, and, and a even smaller subset of that are men of color. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, that's something we've been talking about a lot, like with Eric Crouch, you know, from Teacher Heart, I was talking with those guys about how do you get more men in there? So kind of a twofold question of, you know, what do you think your role is? And, and how do you think we could get more men into the classroom? So um, I would actually say that my, uh, my role as a male in the classroom extends to not just my boys, but to all of my students, because um, I came from a, a divorced family. That's why I didn't have a lot of um, necessarily a male role model in my life. I have two uh, older sisters, and so I grew up with all female role models in my life. Um, and that was hard. Um, and I just, I didn't, I didn't have the opportunity to like necessarily learn how to, you know, do things that generally like my dad would teach me or that a older male in my life would teach me like, you know, how to looking at your car or like, you know, how to, you know, how to whatever, watch a football game or, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Um, And so I take that, I take my experience and I bring it back into the classroom. There are so many families that are broken in our, um, in our classrooms every day and our kids, you know, come and they're dealing with it every single day. Um, I actually just recently had a conversation with a student, um, whose dad is uh, right now incarcerated and, you know, completely having to be, um, kind of the, the head of, you know, taking care of their siblings right now. And, um, just how hard that is for that student. I mean, literally it wasn't, we had, that wasn't even the conversation we were supposed to have, but that's what it turned into. And they just broke down. And here that student is, you know, growing up without a father figure in their life right now, having zero idea how, um, what it's like to be treated by an older male or be respected by an older male and what that needs to look like. Um, And that's what I try to do um, every single day. And it's probably kind of hard for them because I'm not that much older. Um, I mean, I'm in my double digits ahead of of them, um, but they, 
you know, they kind of look at me like, oh, this is the young guy, you know, he's more like a brother versus like a dad, you know, or whatever. But the way that I present myself and the way that I treat, you know, each of them is something that they may or may not be having every single day in their household. Um, I don't know, you know, I don't know each of their family stories. I don't know each of them in a sense of like, what does your male role model look like in your household? Like, is your dad even there? You know, and if he's there, is he actually present there? Because there is a whole situation where it's like dads are in the home, but, you know, they're working 17 hours a day and then they just come home and sleep, you know, like what, what does your position look like? And so I, I want my students to know like, hey, from a male, there's a male out there that cares about you. There's a male out there who sees you, who knows that you are capable, who respects you, who loves you. Um, because I think there's this odd, this very odd um, complex in our society of like, you know, males are not nurturing. They don't, you know, they, love is wishy-washy. That's a female thing. You know, you just, right. you, you got to put on this like male persona, this very manly, you know, persona. And it's like, no, it's okay to cry. You know, like, it's okay. It's okay for you to cry. It's okay for you to use the word love. It's okay for you to not enjoy, you know, football. It's okay for you to enjoy doing like art. Like it's okay, you know, things that are considered more like on a, you know, female version or whatever, you know, where it's like, you don't have to be a sport player. Hey, enjoy drama. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, enjoy singing. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, Enjoy, be okay to hang out with the girls like you can have friends that are girls and it doesn't have to be weird and awkward you know like just this whole dynamic and vice versa for the girls too it's like you can have guy friends they don't have to you don't have to be in a relationship with them like it's okay to do that hey you can love basketball and football and you know that doesn't make it any different like that's okay for that and so i i really feel like my role is just to show them like that's a male cares about them and because i don't know how much they have that every day just you know where our society is that our our females raise our kids you know not not our dads not our not the men in their family like they don't raise the kids they're they're out working they're making the you know the money but but i want them to know that like no there's a male that cares about you too and i i find that really important and i i do that across my school you know as kids are are saying things you know then they say like all the time even my second the second graders first graders the highest richards you know they they they've never even had me but there's right. just about having a male in the school and i think a lot of female teachers would do recognize that there is a different dynamic that comes when a male teacher enters into a school Um, more than a male principal more than like a male custodian when a male teacher steps in that school is just different students are different you know and i i think um i see this a lot i have teachers who you know as teachers we talk (laughs) among like hey Mm -hmm. this the students coming, you know, or like this class, you know, that kind of thing. And I've noticed over the years that, you know, teachers will come to me and say, hey, watch out for this, or, you know, hey, heads up on this, or this is us dynamic or whatever. And that student gets into my classroom, and I don't see that from them. And that, and that's not because I'm this amazing teacher who, you know, you step foot in and it's like, wow, you are like the number one best teacher in the world. And that's why this kid, no, I, I really feel like a huge part of that is just because I'm a male. And I think that there is a huge dynamic that comes with male teachers. And we have 
a different persona in the classroom, a different idealism. I don't, I don't really know what the word is there because right. it kind of just seems to happen in the classroom. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like I'm any different than actually like my female counterpart. Like I have the same expectations for the kids. I teach the same things. Mm-hmm. I, I can't even explain like how it works, but when a student for the most part comes in to my classroom, they just seem different than they did in a female teacher's classroom. And that's not a knock on female teachers in any way, shape or form. Like we, we are all together in this in the same, in the same way, but there's just a different like oomph that a male teacher that when a male teacher's in the classroom, they're just, there's a different tone to the class. Um, And, and so I, I really feel like it's our job to really step up here and say, Hey, like you are loved, you are cherished, you are cared about to our students from a male voice, because I, I don't think our kids get that as much as they should on a daily basis. Um, and so how do we get more males? I really think we got to change the persona. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, teaching has always been a female dominated society and it continues to be, you know, mm-hmm. for however many years, it has always been a female in the classroom. They lead the classroom. And I think that's because, again, females are way more nurturing than men are. Like that, that's just their personality is. And, right. um, and so, you know, it just, it would be natural that a teacher would be a female because it's like, hey, you're loving, you care, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but, and so because of that, you know, again, like in our society, there's just, there's different roles. You know, there's male and female roles. And one of those is in teaching. Teaching is a female role. And yeah. it just, it's not. Like it's yeah. not, it's a unisex role, just like pretty much all of our jobs and our, not, I would say pretty much any job um, is a unisex, is a unisex role now. Like women can do the same jobs that men can and men can do the same jobs that women can. And that doesn't make the man less. And that doesn't make the woman less in any way, shape or form. Like it's what they're passionate about. It's what they want to do. And if they're passionate about it, why shouldn't they do it? Yeah, we, were, we were, we were talking with, with Eric uh, about it too. And we have a, we had a, a guy on that, uh, is a teacher in New York who's a veteran and just talking about like in, in the job that is as, and, and I'm not trying to demean our service members or our police or firefighters, but the real service that we provide as teachers has got to be like on par with as important as that. And it's, it's not, it's not seen as, as, a service. And like you said, it's, it's not seen as a, a job that's a, appealing to men mm-hmm. you yeah. know, for, for whatever reason. And, and how many, how many of us grew up with the fact that, that men teachers were coaches first, like mm-hmm. they were coaches who taught mm-hmm. rather than the other way around. And, you know, the one thing to your point too, that I noticed, like I grew up and I've said this super, super lucky like both parents, like both sets of grandparents, like a bunch of male role models. So when I got to Houston and I was teaching these kids who came from, you know, similar background to you, like I didn't understand how the boys especially could be so combative, Mm -hmm. but it's just that they've never had, uh, and a lot of them had never had a a male discipline them. A lot of them had never had a male talk to them and, and stand eye to eye. And, And when they had, it was, they, they had felt like when someone stood up to them that that was a cue that it was time to fight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you break through that. And, and like you said, though, I, 
it's such an important job. And, and I think it's especially, I've never taught elementary, but it seems like the elementary grades are, have far less men than middle school and high school, especially. So they do, they do. And I'm just, I, you know, it's like generally what I see in the schools is that there's at least one, maybe there's one male teacher, you know, in there and they are generally in the upper grades you know, fifth, Mm -hmm. sixth, that's where they're at. And that's where I'm at. Like I'm in sixth, but that's what I feel called to. Like, that's where, you know, I don't feel called to teach a younger grade, but I so cherish, like, and am so impressed with males who teach in those younger grades because, you know, I walk, I walk by those classrooms and I'm like, whoo, I don't know. I don't know if I can do this. Like, um, I just saw, you know, yesterday that actually a kindergarten smorgasbord got a huge mm-hmm. group hug from his kindergartners for his birthday. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all I could think was they would all knock me over. Like, you know, I don't all yeah, those they were. faces, you know, yeah. happening. And but bless, you know, bless him for doing that. Yeah. Kids at that age need a male just as much as my kids need up at mine, uh, you know, up at my grade. Mm-hmm. We need them throughout. And you're right. They're not in the elementary because, again, it's it's more. Um, I don't know where the switch happens because you do see a lot of male teachers in middle school and high school. So it, there is not necessarily, I guess, this huge persona of like female teachers are female dominated because they do show up in the high schools and they do mm-hmm. show up in the, in the middle schools. Um, like my I, my eighth grade cousin right now has more male teachers he's had in any of his grades this year like almost every single one of his teachers is a middle is a male teacher and Mm -hmm. which is awesome so happy he has that you know right Um, but then you move that down to elementary schools and all you see are females across the board you know and maybe that's because the kids are younger maybe that's because you know that's like the nurturing years I don't I don't know Um, but they need to be in there I mean those are the years where those brains are growing those are the years where they're really impacted um, you know, all the research shows that, you know, before the age of, I think, I don't know what is six or something, five or so, like their brains are growing so much and like how crazy and how amazing is it to get a male in there teaching them at that age, you know, and really putting in to their mindset that you are loved and you are cared about and you are cherished um, yeah. by a male at that young, young age. So You know, and I can't, and I can't tell you too, like for me, one of the struggles with, um, you know, with applying for jobs, whether it was in Texas or, or back in Wisconsin is I'm a social studies guy. That's what my background is. I, at this point in my life at 34, you know, I've got two little nephews, uh, you know, we're doing, we're running our nonprofit, doing our podcast, doing all that. Like I want to teach and do my stuff on the side, but all the social studies jobs have coaching attached. Uh, you, you like, I mean, and, and the stereotype was, when when you couldn't get a, a a PE job for a coach, you stuck them in social studies. And I think, you know, to especially in you know looking at the way you know coming from a sports background and a co- you know a coaching background, the old school way was the coach is the authority and he's just you know hammering down on kids and that's the way coaches and males were. Mm-hmm. And you still see that you know you're still you know in our society that's kind of it's, it's becoming less and less the way things are, mm-hmm. but there's still kind of that, that stigma or that, you know, kind of misconception that that's what the male teacher has to be in. But and is, and yeah. is, and that's the hard, that is the hard part because I do think, you know, when, when you have that, that persona 
which I, I I would say that that is mine to a T. Like I do, I am a very structured, like my classroom is very structured. You know, I am a disciplinarian. I do have high expectations for my students. And so I think when they come in, they're very nervous. They're very scared because they're not coming necessarily from other grades where that happens. Um, and so it's, it's my opportunity to show like, hey, I'm not actually like, a Nazi, you know, to you, like, I'm not this crazy, hardcore, you know, like, beat you down into submission kind of, kind of teacher, like, do I have expectations for you? Yes. Do I want you to be the best that you can be? Absolutely. Am I going to let you get away with every little thing? No, I'm not, you know, but I do that in love. And that's why I actually love um, the shirt that Eric Crouch just created, which Mm -hmm. was love first teach second and I that that is my whole life like that is my philosophy every single day in education is love those kids first and teach them second the curriculum is not as important as the relationship that I build with them every single day to know that they are uh, that they matter and that they are important to me yeah and you know Wilkie has talked about this a ton you know there's a we feel like there's a real misconception with the word discipline in schools you know, to where I, I think, and, and having met you and getting to talk to you, I know that you're not like an authoritarian. You do not seem like an authoritarian, but there's, to me, as I'm learning, even in my thirties, like being disciplined is the act of, of doing the same things over and over of, of working the right way and doing the things you need to be successful growing up. And even in my twenties, when I started teaching discipline was how you got kids to do things. And it's just, it was such a misconception. And, and I, and I even can think back to times in my teaching where I, I thought that as the male teacher, that's what I had to be. Mm. So when a kid would challenge me, I was like, whoa, you're not going to challenge me. And then, you know, you, you escalate and you just make the situation 10 times worse than it needed to. Right. But, but I think, you know, to your point, there's a huge, huge difference between being structured and being disciplined and having expectations and being an authoritarian, which is like, you're going to do what I want you to do because I told you. Cause I'm sure with your kids, like, and, and I was going to ask you a question about flexible seating because you know, that's kind of all the, the rage, but there's a, I think a lot of people see flexible seating and they think it's anarchy, but I'm sure that there's, there's, there's a method to flexible seating and there are expectation. There are rules that allow kids to do those kind of things. Absolutely. I mean, I think, um, I think there's a sense of it's just about setting expectations, which is not having to throw down the gauntlet. You know, you're, you're not needing to do that. Are there times where you maybe need to raise your voice? Are there times where maybe, yeah, you got to pull that kid and say, like, listen, you're gonna stop this now, but have a conversation with them later on about it? Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. But if that's how you're running your classroom every day, I think you're going about it the wrong way because I think you're losing an opportunity to really invest into the students in that way because then they're doing things out of, uh, for you out of fear and not out of respect and love. Um, and I would rather my students love me and respect me than fear me. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. And they, you know, they, um, kid, kids want to do well they want to do the right thing. They just make the wrong choice sometimes. Just mm-hmm. like we, we all make the wrong choice sometimes too. I, mean, I, think, <laughs> I think we forget, I think we forget a lot of oh. where it's like, hey, when you were, when we were students, I can't tell you the amount of times I got in trouble. Like, like it, 
I would, t- I talk to, I tell my kids this all the time. I was a talker. I was a no. talker in school. My parents, <laughs> so was I. my parents would come home from, you know, like the, the teacher conferences and go, so do you know what your teacher said? And I would go, yep. But they would go, what'd they say? That I'm a great student, but that I can't, I can't keep my mouth closed. And they said, yeah, all right, here we go. Let's move on with the rest of our night. Like it was right. just, right. and so for my talkers, I'm like, listen guys, I know where you're coming from. You just feel like you always got to say something, but you can't, you can't do right. that. You know, like right. when we have these conversations instead, and now could I like step up there and go stop talking right now and totally just throw down the gauntlet at them? Absolutely. I could. But instead, I try and put my own self in there and be like, look, I know where you're coming from. I get you. I get you. You can't do this right now. And here's why, you know, and really kind of not in a sense, like you're not negotiating with them, but you're seeing them as a person. You're seeing them like, hey, you're making a mistake right now. Let's fix that mistake. You know, like this is a part of who you are, but let's fix that. And I think the same goes with flexible seating. I don't actually have flexible seating in my classroom. We don't actually have that part. Um, But I do have areas where the kids can like, you know, sit on the floor with pillows instead or work on um, like stools. Uh, But Mm -hmm. mostly ours, we're still, um, our school is still kind of at the desk and chair um, situation kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I try to provide opportunities for my kids to move about. but um, it, I would assume it's the exact same thing. Like I still have to have rules about, you know, pel- sitting on the floor with the pillows and I still have to have rules about like how to use the stools correctly. You know, like you do right. have to have those. So it's not anarchy. And, you know, I give major credit to like Fletcher, you know, who, oh does, who does full fledged, like, you know, flexible seating. And I look at that and I'm like, man, my own teaching style. I don't actually know if I could provide that many options for my students. Well, yeah. yeah. But, but that's but that's genuine to him. Like we had him on, and and it's and and I think another part of the conversation with teachers too is how you know coming back to it doesn't look good. It it doesn't seem like they appreciate who we are. It doesn't seem like, and I mean like like who we are as different people. Because what works for you wouldn't work for me, and it wouldn't work for Wilkie, or it wouldn't you know what works for. I don't think everybody can be Eric Crouch. I think Eric Crouch is like some kind of alien or cyborg <laughs> or transformer to be able to do what he does or Casey, you know, yeah. but I, I think, and that's, you know, kind of off, off bar of what no, we're but, talking about too. But, but to each their own, like, that's how I see that. Like, everyone every teacher is going to bring something different like i there's there's a teacher at our school who kind of enjoys like a more kind of loud you know in a sense chaotic kind of classroom and that works for them and that Mm -hmm. is okay absolutely okay it doesn't work for me i can't i can't work in that you know kind of loud like loudness like i allow my kids can talk they can you know they can work together i love their partner work i love their group work but i I can't have it. I use the phrase all the time. Like it sounded like a rock concert in here and like, we're not at a rock concert, like, but that's just my style. Mm -hmm. And that's not wrong. There's not a wrong or right way, you know, to have your classroom, like in a sense. Now, if your kids are learning, they love being there and they know that they're loved. You're doing your teaching the right way. Like that is how, that's how I feel. Like, and it's not a sense of, you know, if you didn't get to everything in the curriculum that year, but your kids learned how to respect one another and listen mm. to each other's opinions. You did your job. 
you know, maybe you didn't get to, I'm, I'm going to use things from my year because that's what I know, but, you know, maybe I didn't get to teaching Rome, but you learned how to like hold open a door for someone and mm -hmm. be okay, you know, and think of someone else before yourself. Like I did my job. It's okay. You'll figure out Rome somewhere else. You'll read a book on Rome or like, in, you know, in seventh grade, you'll get taught about Rome or, yeah. you know, you'll, you'll get information about Rome later on. So it's okay. I didn't get to that. But I did get you to look at, look at something through the eyes of another person. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. I think there's this sense of like, you got to do what works for your classroom. And just because right. it didn't work for the other teacher doesn't mean it's not going to work for you. So do, do play to your strengths, you know, just like we yeah. would in any other job or on a sports team, play to your strengths. Yeah, man. All right. Well, I, I'm looking, I'm, I just like glanced over at my questions and I think I asked like two of them. So we're definitely going to have you back on. So before we, before we get you out of here, cause again, it is a Saturday morning. I want to be respectful of your time. If people want to connect with you, uh, what's the easiest way for them to do that? Yeah, probably the easiest way is through uh, my Instagram handle, which is sculpting in six. It's where I'm the most uh, like on and it's the most where I most active that I am. I, I can't do all the, the Twitter and everything else. On Dude, it, so so <laughs> hit me up on my Instagram handles. How that is the best option. Awesome, buddy. Well, uh, super glad we could connect and we're, we're definitely going to have to get, like I said, Wilkie was, uh, you know, he had a family thing, but he definitely wanted to make sure he knew that we wanted to catch up again later on in the year, the three of us and Hopefully see you soon, buddy. But thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Really enjoyed it.